should of, going back to the language, uh, should uh, of instead of should have. Well, it depends what's, what is correct, what is... Um, oh. Because what... Oh. Oh. Wait a minute, the auxiliary it's verb has just taken a terrible blow to the knees. Language's power, emojis, slang, the subjunctive mood, your mood, my mood, all colour our words with meaning. Interested? Then you're in the right place. I'm Giles Brandreth and welcome to the Have You Eaten Grandma podcast. Hello, I'm Natalie Haynes and I am here talking to the marvellous Mr Giles Brandreth about his glorious new book. Giles, well, can you tell us about it? Well, in a sense, the book is just a springboard for the conversation. So we can hang out. We can, so we can yeah, hang out and reason. bring along our friends who are verbivores, wordaholics, people who love the language and love playing with the language. And while I was working on the book, which took me, in a sense, a lifetime, but I did it every year, I was listening to the way people use the language. And I was on a bus while I was writing this, and I wrote down what I heard a teenage schoolboy say to his friend. And I just gave, I've only included a brief bit of it in the book, because this went on for about 20 minutes, but he was saying something along these lines. I was, I was like a bit late. Not like a lot late, just a bit late, like. But he like just went like ballistic, you know, like, really like totally mad. It was terrible like. And then I realized, listening to other young people, that the word like is now the linguistic filler that people just put in. Instead of an um or an er, they give us like. And it's not the only one. Um, there's um, there's er, of course. On the radio, because I'm of a generation that still listens to Radio 4, I listen to the Today programme, and this very morning, every one of eight consecutive interviewees began their first answer with either the word well or the word so. Well, it's so annoying, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> and it is unnecessary. So what I dislike are words that are fillers and words that have become so overused because we just use them all the time that they no longer mean anything. On the same radio programme, I heard the word iconic three times, nuanced, which is a useful word, but it wasn't used 20 years ago. It's now used all the time. Stakeholders, authentic. The word, When I hear authentic, I know it's phony. And so... <laughs> And the other one is passionate. That's why I'm, I'm passionate about how much I hate the word passionate and its overuse. Imagine how awful it would be to do um, job interviews, or worse, even our admission interviews at universities, where every single student will have been drilled to come in and say, I'm very passionate about myself. And you just, oh, bless the In fact, speaking of such things, uh, Julia Salabank, uh, you are just such a person, I suspect, because you work at SOAS. And so are my students are here, as it happens. Aha! And, did, and were they passionate about their subject, your subject, when they applied? Well, we don't actually have interviews. But they, they have to write a statement. But yes, they do often say how passionate they are about language, yes. And are you still passionate about language, having been on receiving yes. end of all those passionate statements? I am, surprisingly <laughs> enough, yes. But not just about English, about lots of languages, about thousands of languages all around the world. Um, because what, your specialty is linguistics? Yes, yes, yes. But specifically about... What I look at is languages which are going to die out because people aren't speaking them anymore. I, I read about a language and I never appreciated how... Dan, can you remind us who you are? Oh, sorry, my name is Dan Schreiber. I am a QI elf and I host No Such Thing as a Fish oh. uh, podcast. Um, never heard of it. So. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it, don't, don't bother. Um, it's, <laughs> it um, but it's... Um, that was not some classic upselling, if you don't mind me saying <laughs> But it, uh, yeah, I, so I, there was an anthropologist called Wade Davis and he was talking about the ethnosphere, which is languages of the world, because within languages, Language, you hold everything. You hold 
ideas, you hold beliefs, you hold systems of how the world works, you hold knowledge. It's all in there, and languages die all the time. And I read about a language that's on its way out called Zok or Zokwa. Have you have you come across uh, that by any chance? No, no. Okay, I read this in a newspaper a few years back. Two people left alive speak the language <gasps> Zok. Yeah, two people. But tragically, due to an argument they had a few years back, no, they no longer talk no. to each other. Yeah. It's, 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 in, it's in Mexico, I did hear Yes, it's in Mexico, yes. yeah. And, and when turns... one of them dies, think of that soliloquy, the last Zox soliloquy. Yes, yeah. but it turns out, I, I was reading into it. will be full of vengeance. It will be. No, but the reason they're not talking to each other, I read this recently, is that um, it turns out that they had an argument about the proper way to speak Zok. So they, they were so angry about, like, no, no, this is the language, this is the language, that they fell out, and now the two last speakers no longer talk. The phrase, let that be a lesson, seems largely redundant at this juncture. <laughs> but given that you are an authority on linguistics, can you you tell us what it is that makes us fill out the language with these words, these grunts, these meaningless turns of phrase? And do you find it as frustrating as I do? Um, I don't think I find it. I there's um, long um there because I'm thinking, and that's actually what we're doing. I think when we make, when we're doing these fillers. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> Drying up here. <laughs> but it's an authority thing, isn't it? That's why politicians do it. When they say well or so instead of um, it's because if they say um, people go, ah, you don't know the answer, you're having to think of it. Whereas mm -hmm. if they say well, it gives you a sense of listen to me while I, you know, clarify my thoughts. Hmm. See also, I think the question we should really be asking ourselves is, which means I do not know the answer to the question you just asked me. However, I do know the answer to the following question. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the one I prepared because I wanted you to ask me that one. Absolutely. Yes. Fiona Evans from the National Literacy Trust, how do you feel about linguistic fillers? I think some other languages perhaps do it a little bit better than, than we do. And I think particularly in French, it's, you know, it's, qu it's quite sexy, the whole French linguistic fillers, because it's oh like, oh, and bavilla, Which has oh. yeah, a whole different, oh, yeah, yeah oh, it's oh, exactly, oh, yeah. The only one I ever use, of course, is Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. Zutalos and Vedas. do it every single time. My favourite bit of French is not even French. Oh, there's isn't there? Yes. Jean Depardieu reaching for his. Now, aubergine. I wish I'd never brought up the aubergine in program one. Now I'm sorry that I ever mentioned it. Now, I think obviously people use these fillers because they may be uncertain about what they say and one wants to encourage fluency, you want to encourage people to use the language well because they can communicate better as a result. That's good. What I'm really complaining about is people falling back on phrases that become hackneyed and cliched. Uh, gutted. I hate people yeah. saying things are gutted. You know, I'm the gutted. sports cliche particularly you hate. Is that a sports cliche? I think it is, isn't it? It's what people say when a team loses. I'm gutted. But now it's abridged, right? Now you would never say I'm gutted. You would just say gutted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. As in end of. Yeah. That's it, it, literally my one superpower is getting them all to say the same word. That's all I <laughs> I may use it again tonight. I haven't decided. Really well. I mean, gutted at least has a, some sort of bite to it. But it does. Speaking personally, how else are you going to speak? Mm. Yes. That is the only way you can speak. I personally. Oh, yourself. What will yourself oh, be having? The superfluous reflexive, Giles. Don't even start me. I've had to put my pen down in fury. Uh, explain to the listener what the superfluous um, I, what I is. I don't mind it when it's a dialect. Thing. So I don't mind it when it happens in Irish, for example, where using yourself or myself as a sort of, it's not a reinforcing thing, it's just for the sake of it. But what I hate is when it's used, it's a, 
actually it works really beautifully in Irish, so I'm, I let it stand. But I hate it when it's used by people um, who are trying to be formal. It's, it's a kind of overcorrection. It's an overcorrection. That's exactly yes, what it is. Yes, and it's just, yes. I find it so hateful. Mm -hmm. um, the, the kind of pomposity of it is so dreadful. And I once, and I, I've told one shaming anecdote in these uh, programmes, and I'm about to tell another. But I was once driven to such, let's say, considerable ire. Um, by a man from a housing association in whose flat I lived, um, who was simply refusing to do anything about the fact that the water had been off for three days, which There's is no way to speak of your father. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you hear me? And it was, I was so incensed by his behaviour and his complete lack of being interested in it. And I explained that I had uh, rung copious times over the last three days and so on and so on and so on. And he said, well, I can see why yourself would be... And I was I will reach through the phone and... Lump you. Um, and he went, the thing is, I myself wouldn't have done that, and I myself wouldn't have done this. And I, <laughs> eventually I cracked and went, much as I'm enjoying your use of the subjunctive mood. <laughs> it was just horrific silence. And then I went on to be unspeakably vile in a way of which I am not proud. Well, I've, I've, as it were, been collecting all the words that I hate the most. I don't quite know what to do with them. I put them in the book or some of them. But I feel we should have a sort of bonfire like or, or fine people. I hate the word, for example, celebrity, because it, it means almost automatically somebody you've never heard of. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, political grandee. Newspaper. Uh, this is, again, somebody you've probably never heard of who's passed it. Uh, I mean, they're so... Oh, should of. Going back to the language, should have, have instead of should have. Well, it depends what's what is correct, what is um Oh. Because what <laughs> oh. Oh. wait a minute, the auxiliary oh. verb has just taken a terrible oh. blow to the knees. Tell us more, Julia. Feel free to um, um, uh, well, so, as much as you like. Okay, a lot of what we say, going back to the cliché thing, a lot of what we say is clichés. Uh, linguists have actually done analysis of language. If you, you, you use a mobile phone to write stuff, it will, tell, it will suggest words to you. And it knows those because it's got a dictionary in it of clichés. And most of what it suggests will be what we normally use after a particular word. Um, <laughs> but it will often suggest things that are totally inappropriate, like go to bed with somebody rather than go to... <laughs> yes. Um, mine quite often... <laughs> to get you out of jail free. Um, mine quite often, because I send so many... Because I write so many emails on an uh, iPad or an iPhone, and because so often they have Greek in them because I'm talking about a book or a thing that I'm working on, um, mine will quite often correct a perfectly innocent English word to, for example, Euripides. <laughs> yeah. No, that isn't what I... No, actually, do you know what, phone? Let's talk about Euripides. I find it delightful. Can, I, can I give you some examples? And you go, hooray, if you like them. And wah, wah, if you dislike them. Yes. And if you're listening to yes, this on the podcast, uh, and on the underground, join in. It will amuse the other passengers, OK? Uh, if you like this, you go, hey. If you think it's awful and you want to hear it ever again, go, <clears throat> OK. <laughs> I have a window in my diary. Hey. <laughs> My bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> no, that can fuck off. No, I am no, sorry. No, no. That can roundly fuck off. Totes, totes instead of totally. I love that. Right? That's good. That's, that's, good. that's, that's good. a two-day two yeah. okay. I prefer a paz. I love, like I love a Paz. My daughter used to say Soz when she was a teenager. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. My, my friend at my um, when I was living in a flat years ago, he said the word amazeballs, and it's the yeah. first time I'd ever heard it. And he yeah. said, "Yeah, I've just invented this word." Yeah. And I was like, "It's a really good word. This is very exciting." And then two days later on Twitter, Taylor Swift wrote this tweet <laughs> saying, "Just went to this thing, amazeballs," and I was so totes amazeballs, and I was so convinced that she 
had must have heard it from my friend that I I tweeted Taylor Swift and said, "That's crazy! You said Amazeballs. My friend invented that." And I didn't hear back from her. She must have been busy, but. She got back and to me. that story should end, and now we are married. Yes. Yeah. That's what we want from that story. Just when she me. replied to me, she simply said, awesome sauce. Yeah. Did she? What about, and Trump liked it. Wow, just wow. Wow, just wow. Wow, just wow. You totally owned it. Yeah. You like that one? Yeah. You nailed it. I like that. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. Literally. Oh, can't abide Literally, it. Literally, figuratively. No. I can't abide it. Not yeah. only as a filler, because it is used as a filler as well, isn't yeah. it? But also as one of those phrases you never want to use. Yeah, I literally, I literally died of embarrassment. Literally, yeah. like, literally. Like. Yeah. <laughs> to die for. Mm. Oh, I'll tell you the one I really hate. Your call is important to us. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> If it was important, sir, yeah. Yeah. you would have answered it. Yeah. Well, sometimes people get it wrong. I keep hearing people say specifically when they mean I think specifically. Uh, or, yeah. or they say partially when I think they mean partly. Yeah. The problem is that um, the more we use things, the more they become the new normal. Yeah. And as linguists, we generally are descriptive linguists. We describe language, we analyse it. We don't actually tell people how to speak. But there are countries okay. where people are, there are more prescriptive linguistics in play, right? I mean, that's yes. true in France, for example. It's a much more prescriptive Perhaps not among the linguists, among the government, perhaps. Yes. The, yes, among the, the, uh, the Académie Française. You know, but people don't necessarily take notice of it. I was, that's my next will, question is, is yes. it a losing battle? Well, for example, the word email. Everyone in France uses the word email when they're talking to each other, but when they're writing anything official, they use courriel, because that's the official word in the Académie Française. Because they're still trying to keep French, the French language, pure. Yes. They don't mm. want ah. le snack bar, le feel-good yes. factor, and all that going into the language. So, uh, they so, are onto a yeah. loser. So they'll, play, they'll, pay, they'll, pay, they'll pay, lip, pay lip service to it, but they won't necessarily believe in it. I always find it fascinating. So I, I grew up in Hong Kong and I speak mm -hmm. Mandarin. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying before, you sit on buses and... I've I heard of name dropping, but that's a <laughs> language drop. Just casual language. I speak yeah. Mandarin. Was it? Right, okay. It's three dialects of ancient Greek, mate. No one's impressed with you right here. <laughs> <laughs> we eat Mandarins at Christmas. You actually speak it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. But you, on. you said that um, on buses is what you heard. And I think that's the best place to hear the, the modern usage of language, sitting on a bus and overhearing a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm always fascinated by languages that suddenly, between two people who speak the language who are from the country, break into English mm -hmm. for no apparent yes. reasons for words they definitely have in their own language. Yes. So you'll be on a bus, and if I'm listening to two Chinese people speaking on the bus, I'll hear a conversation like, marshmallows, Giles Brandreth, nail gun, what the fuck is going on in this conversation? It's like some weird trailer that you don't ever get resolved, but they, they break into it and you definitely have, maybe not your name, but you definitely have those other words in your language. Yet, And you don't know whether to call the police or ask to be invited oh. along. <laughs> yes. I was asked to get off the number 33 bus while preparing this book, Have You Eaten Grandma? Because unfortunately I was so involved that I heard somebody actually saying to somebody with them, uh, they use the word referencing. And I stopped and I said, I think you actually mean referring to. You know, that's all right. And somebody else then said, oh, uh, irregardless. I said, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Uh, but I, I suspect uh, the word is regardless, or maybe you mean um, irrespective. 
it's not the correct usage. Uh, anyway, after about half an hour of this, the bus yes. stopped, and I was, anyway, uh, <laughs> just sharing that with you. Mm. Well, thank you. Do, do you have a particular linguistic filler that you know you overuse, any of you guys? Yeah. What's yours? Well done. I say well done all the time. Do you? Okay, That's no, very encouraging. Well, in a way, it is encouraging, but when, you know, somebody has, <laughs> something awful has happened, I still say well done. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, your, your aunt is just dying. Well, well done. It's, cause, <laughs> it's, it's because I, it's laziness. That's what I don't like about this. The, really, what's happening is that English language, I know you're doing this wonderful work to save the, the, the two people who speak this language and don't talk to one another, and you've got the whole of SOAS engaged in celebrating all these wonderful languages around the world, but English has become the lingua franca of the world. Mm -hmm. It's the richest language in the world. It's universally spoken now. That is wonderful. But we know, all the research shows, that the better English you speak and write, the better job you will get, the better partner you will get, the higher your income will be. All the research indicates that, that communicating well, using language, is to your benefit. And that's why I think it's sad, if people have the potential to use the language well, that they have recourse to these cliches and don't challenge themselves to try and speak with a, a lucidity and a correctness that is available if you make the effort. But sometimes there are such beautiful ones. Because I am from Birmingham, I would always go for a devastating Birmingham Lytotes as a linguistic filler. And thus, I would assassinate someone's character to a friend and conclude with the words, not in a mean way. Not in a mean way. Ladies and gentlemen, the hometown of Birmingham. It's yeah. so great. Yeah, and whenever anyone else does it, I'm always really, I think, oh yeah, you're from where I'm from. Remind us what lytotes means. Lytotes is a deliberate understatement. It's the opposite of hyperbole. Oh. You're welcome. You live and learn. <laughs> then of course you die and forget it all. Yes, yes you do. Anyone else confessing to a linguistic filler? Uh, I say, um, whoa, a lot. Kind of like, I'm That's in Bill so and Ted. Ted. Yeah, I just constantly, <laughs> whoa. Um, I say awesome. Sorry. I still say Socrates from Bill and Ted, and I have not one but two degrees, <laughs> and yet still I can't resist it. That's amazing. Yeah. Can, I, can I just quickly say, having bragged that I speak Mandarin, just in case any Mandarin listeners are listening to this podcast, I absolutely cocked up that sentence so badly. You owned it. You nailed it. Literally. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say right because that's what teachers say a lot. Uh, right, we're going to do this. Right, stand up. Right, get out your books, whatever. But actually, what I think I say is, okay. And it's, well, that's it's, less it's, encouraging. It's, okay. yes, it's, well, yes. It's it's, it's like, I'm, I don't really agree with what you're saying, but I'm not going to tell you that. Um, it's not quite the right answer, but I, I want to hear more. <laughs> Those are your yeah. students we can all hear laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. I'll tell you an interesting thing. Um, so I, I, I sometimes um, edit and produce radio shows, and when you're in the edit, you do an edit of a show, it'll be, you know, you record for an hour sometimes, and you need to bring it to 20-something minutes. You do an edit, and then once you do the edit, you do a thing called the de-umming, where you take the ums out of everyone, so that when people hear you on radio, they think, wow, this person is so eloquent, they've never said a num. But there are certain people who come on the show where you have to make a decision about does it fit the pace and the, the rhythm of their sentences to leave the um in, or a different a different thing, like Bill Bailey, if we ever have Bill Bailey on. Bill Bailey's conversation is so full of He has that little thing. Eddie Izzard, similarly. It's a timing thing. It's a timing. It's part yeah. of the rhythm of a conversation and a sentence. You go, that needs to stay. If I lose that, I lose him as an essence. I reason. worked with a producer who actually put in ums and ers and pauses because he felt the person was almost too fluent. And to make it more human yeah, and, natural. To, and natural and to slow the pace down so that the listener could actually appreciate it, he said, we, we need to break this up a bit, and actually added 
ums and uhs. Right. We sometimes add an absolute silence if the joke goes so badly and we want the person to really feel it. <laughs> we sometimes just put in almost like the vacuum of space yeah. right after a joke. I'm afraid I, I do. When I hear a new phrase, I pick it up for a while and then I can't get rid of it. I quite liked That's So Random when it began. That's so random. That's so random. Oh, I, I like what I really loathe, and this now happens. I, with, when I receive an email, I want it to go straight to the point. I don't want all this persiflage. That's all. And every email I now get, particularly after a weekend, is, you know, hi, hi Giles, that's fine. Or even hi, just getting on with it. Or even Giles, that's fine. Uh, what I don't then want is a whole sentence, hope your weekend was really gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> hope you had some time in the sun. You know, uh, <laughs> did you have a really lovely time? You know, oh, and on Friday they say, you know, have a great weekend. I shall be working at the weekend. I, I don't want this. Oh, I know. I really broke on that when I was judging the booker and I read 151 books in 204 days. Um, and uh, it nearly broke me. Um, and at a time without number, people would go, oh, have a lovely weekend off. And you don't, no, stop. No, I, don't even stop. No, How no. dare you? I'll be reading eight novels. But I think they think it's courteous. I yeah, think they, yes, someone has no, told yes. them you've got to begin that. No, uh, an email, if it's a business email, Cut straight to the point. I now tend to number things. In fact, my wife has advised me, and I do everything that she says. You do. You're a wise man. I do. Has advised me that actually, in an email, only send one message, just one idea. They can't. People can't. Just say one. Yeah, they'll thing. only reply to one. Yeah. So you might as well. So just say one. one thing. What you want. Don't fill it out with. You know. That's your take-home message, people. So um, we have to wrap it up. I'm oh, but done. we haven't got round to. I was sat. When I meant, I was sitting. Uh, can oh, you bear I'm that? I was sure stood. I was sure. stood. See, this is language when, change. This is not necessarily language decline. So, yeah, I'm not is sure that absolutely, Charles, instead of don't yes, don't make me shout at you again. Sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> I, right. said that, I said that once. Honestly, it's like I'm not here. I require linguistic filler to be used to say, stop it, we're done now. <laughs> See how I concisely said we were finished? Whatever now I'm less concisely telling don't you. Don't tell them finished. what's upcoming. I can't stand it. No, I will not. <laughs> you are good. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, would you please thank my guests? Uh, they were Fiona Evans from the National Literature Trust, Dan Schreiber, Julia Salabank from SOAS, and Giles Brandreth. I've been Leslie Haynes. Join us next time as we chance it with Chaucer, shimmy with Shakespeare, and battle rap it all up, only on the Have You Eaten Grandma podcast. It's going to be totally wicked, natural. And of course, if you can't wait, you can find my book, Have You Eaten Grandma, in hardback, audio, and ebook, available now. <laughs>